6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 1 Peter, chapters 4 and 5. Many Christians don't have a kingdom perspective. They haven't been taught that. But there is a kingdom coming and your role, your responsibilities in that kingdom will derive from your faithfulness today. Your behavior matters. Not to earn your salvation. Jesus took care of that. You can't influence that. Jesus did that. If you accept Jesus Christ, your justification is nailed permanently. Because God and both the Father and the Son and the Spirit, all three members of the Trinity, are committed to preserving that. So it's not in your hands, it's in His. Praise God for that. But our faithfulness in our walk will determine the responsibilities that we'll enjoy in the kingdom that's going to be established. We need to understand that's called sanctification. And uh, that's, that's, if you, once you begin to realize that Jesus is coming back, he's going to rule on the earth, and you're going to be part of that picture, your part of that picture will, deter, will be re- derived from your faithfulness and diligence today. You're in boot camp for the kingdom. Once you understand that, it changes your priorities every day. It changes your priorities every day. It says, be ye therefore sober. The word is sophroneo. Be of sound mind is what it really means. It really should be translated sober-minded. Peter uses the expression a great deal. What he actually means is, be ye therefore intelligent. Use your head. Be sober, be of sound mind. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Moving on. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now this, of course, is amplified in 1 Corinthians 13. You all know that passage. This is a, he's actually quoting here from Proverbs 10, verse 12. Love will cover the multitude of sins. Because it, be, it will demonstrate your attitude. Now we're not to be indifferent to sin. We are to help those who are overtaken with a fault. Galatians 6, many passages in the New Testament epistles deal with that. We are to cling to one another in love rather than committed to the exposure and censure of others. Boy, watch out for that one. People who are sensitive to the teachings of the Word of God run the risk of becoming judgmental. Boy, so-and-so is doing this and that. Really. We're not to be committed to the exposure and censure of others. Rather, we're to cling to one another in love. We're not to be indifferent to sin or false doctrine, and yet we're to help those that are overtaken with a fault. Big difference. Big difference. The attitude there is profoundly different. Continuing, use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What does it mean to be a steward 
of the manifold grace of God. That's our stewardship. See, we exercise gifts, but we inspect the fruit. We're not gift inspectors. We are fruit inspectors. We should be looking for the fruit of spiritual gifts in others. And incidentally, if we fail to exercise our spiritual gifts, we defraud the body of Christ. One of the great adventures in life is to discover what supernatural gifts God has given you. They're different for each of us. And when you discover what that supernatural gift, I'm not talking about natural talent, that's a different issue. Talk about the supernatural gifts that God has given you. That's a clue to what he's calling you to do. And if you fail to exercise that spiritual gift, you defraud the family of believers. Verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. That God in all things be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Make sure God is glorified. Again, failure to exercise your gift defrauds all of us in the body. Moving on. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as some strange thing that's happened to you. This is interesting. Peter is writing, his, writing to his readers probably about the time that Nero is starting the persecution of Christians. Understand this, by the way. In the early years after Christ's resurrection, the attack against believers came from the Jewish communities because they resented the, 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 those that were clinging to Christ as the Messiah. And when Luke writes his Gospel and Volume 2, the book of Acts, he was writing to Rome, those that like the trial documents supporting Paul's appeal to Rome, that were pointing out to the Roman leadership that the insurrections that accompanied Paul was not was from the Jewish community. Centurions are good, great people in, in, in the writings of Luke. And what he's trying to get across is the troubles that seem to accompany Paul's travels came from the Jewish rabble-rousers reacting to Paul, not from the Jewish... We, it later came from Nero on and so forth that the Roman Empire started persecuting Christians. And that's what's starting here in Peter's letter. But I think not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. So again, this primary reference here may have been to the pending fulfillment of the Lord's prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. That's when Jerusalem in 70 AD was, was the big event. But also the horrors of the Roman persecution, which was going to last for two centuries. And actually much longer than that if you include the 1,500 years of papal persecutions. And if you really want to get into that, I encourage you to get our briefing pack called The Kingdom of Blood, which details that history. Or if you can get a copy of Haley's Bible Handbook, one of the earlier versions, it has that whole history. Later versions that were more politically correct expurgated that very fabulous appendix to Haley's Bible Handbook. Back in there, it has, a, you know, the, 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 the early ones are more valuable because they're, they're more forthright. As though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think that you are unique. In fact, your trial, whatever it might be, may be to train you to serve others that have similar circumstances, whatever they might be. About, uh, about with cancer, 
or financial uh, bankruptcy, or there are all kinds of trials. The trials you might be, first of all, any trials that you're in, if you're a believer, our Father filtered. And he will not allow you to be tried above that you're able. That's his commitment. But he might be doing that to train you, to prepare you to serve others that may fa be facing the same predicament. That's one of several possibilities. But Peter says, be re but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Be joyful in suffering. You've got to be kidding. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? No, not if you understand the total program. We're facing as a culture a huge change. The country we grew up in, the heritage that we uh, grew to love, is a past myth. We're in a socialistic, probably tyrannical, becoming tyrannical environment. Don't be surprised. That's been the, the environment that most of the body of Christ for most of the last 2,000 years has had to endure. Okay, so don't be surprised. Joy and suffering. Celebrate the fact that it's happening just like he said it was going to do. The believer suffers in fellowship with his Lord. We are to expect this. Jesus said to in John 15, he lays it out. But don't be misunderstanding. We are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now don't, we can't be partakers of his atoning sufferings. They stand alone. None but he could endure the penalty of our sins and so make propitiation so that we could be forgiven. We just share his sufferings for righteousness sake generically, not for suffering. Understand there's a distinction here, here a critical distinction. If ye be reproached for, for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Praise God for that. Any identity that's ascribed to you, that's ascribed to Christ, gives you an opportunity to glorify God, whatever the circumstances. He's our king, and we are his ambassadors. None can be true to Christ and loved by the world and its systems. If you're loved by the world and its systems, you gotta, you got, you got, there's something wrong with this picture. Because the world hates Christ, the world hates believers. That gives you a very interesting challenge. We cannot expect the approval of those who reject and misunderstand our Savior. Our adversaries, you know, reject Christ and they misunderstand Him. Those aren't the people that we want the approval of. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. That sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But I want you to know something interesting there, okay? So obviously no follower of Christ is called upon to deserve the ill will of the wicked. He is to adore in the gospel of Christ. In other words, you shouldn't be, you know, not only should you not be accused of murder, you shouldn't be a murderer. Absolutely not. Or as a thief. But notice something else here. There's no room for retaliation of inf or infractions in the Christian witness. Or as a busybody. You know what fascinates me, caught my eye, this pass-through here, is that Peter lumps in the same category as a murderer or a thief, a gossip. That should surprise you. 
Peter puts gossip in the same category as a murderer. We tend to think, well, gossip, that's sort of a little sin. No, it's probably the most painful sin of all. It probably creates more pain than many of these other more notorious forms of, of abuse. Being a busybody, being a gossip. No room in your life for that. Moving on, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on, his, on this behalf. There's the word Christian. You don't find that in the Bible very frequently, by the way. It's not found very often in the New Testament. But it is a distinctive title of those who belong to Christ. It was first called that way in Antioch, in Acts 11. It also shows up in Acts 26. A couple of places the word Christian shows up this way. It was not a common term in the New Testament. Let us not, let us not be ashamed. It should pop right into your mind, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile or the Greek. Paul's famous declaration there, Romans 1.16, should be in your memory verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Wow! Don't take that for granted. We hear so much, we talk so much about it. Don't ever get casual about that. That's a big deal. Furthermore, 1 Timothy 1.12, a similar assertion by Paul in his, in his counsel to his protege Timothy. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Interesting. Who is Paul's, uh, who is he depending on? Whose faithfulness is Paul depending on? His own? No. Christ's. I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and that he, for I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul's security rests in Christ's faithfulness, not his own. His rewards, his inheritance will determine. That's why he can say in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he says, Lest I preach to others, I myself be a castaway. Strange verse. It's not talking about his salvation, it's talking about his inheritance. Paul understood that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, your inheritance is something you could forfeit by lack of, of faithfulness, lack of perseverance. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your inheritance. The and I think that's why there's tears in heaven. Because I think we're going to discover, as we look back, the opportunities that we missed, that we blew. Oh, if we only had recognized the right priorities in the life we lived here, how different our eternity would be. Our responsibilities and authorities in eternity could be determined by our faithfulness here. Wow. Emerson said it so eloquently. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these. It might have been. And when we're in heaven and standing before the judgment seat of Christ and we discover what we might have earned had we been just a little more aware that our behavior counts. Boy. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God and if it first begin at us... What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Wow. See, we go to 2 Corinthians 5.10 again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, be it good or bad. Not for their salvation, for their inheritance. 
Okay, the judgment must start at the house of God. Okay, that judgment, which occurs right after the harpazo, is very early. It isn't for a thousand years later that the great white throne judgment occurs, and that's them that obey not the gospel of God when they have their judgment. But the judgment starts at the house of God or the family of fellowship. But if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Wow. Different ball game, different judgment altogether. There's no relationship between the judgment seat of Christ to the believers and that judgment a thousand years later before the great white throne where the unsaved dead are resurrected and discover their final destiny. Our Father does not pass over the failures of His people but disciplines them toward obedience. How solemn then the judgment of them who persist in rejecting his Savior. Wow. The writer of Hebrews also supports what Peter is speaking. And by the way, we believe for a lot of reasons that that is Paul for a lot of reasons. In fact, uh, that we, we, we've discovered, we think, that you really won't understand the letter until you understand who wrote it and why he didn't sign it. But that's a whole other study. But the writer of Hebrews supports Peter. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. You know, you don't discipline the other kids, uh, the other father's children. You discipline your own children. And God the Father disciplines his children. People that aren't his children, different category. But you, if you're a believer, everything that happens to you is father-filtered. It serves a deliberate purpose that's ordained by the Father. What comfort there is in that. What tremendous comfort, uh, covenant, uh, comfort is in that. Romans 8, verse, Romans 8, from verse 28 to the end of the chapter, should be your precious, precious you know, uh, comfort under those conditions. Verse 18, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? <laughs> Indeed. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Wow. There's another allusion to our security. Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to whom? To him in well-doing as to a faithful creator. That's the one that's taking care of you no matter how it appears. You and I are but pilgrims passing through. We're not called to a monastic life, but to go forth in the very world from which we've been delivered, being in it but not of it, declaring everywhere God's offer of salvation through the finished work of His beloved Son. Let's remember that. Our job is not to perfume the cesspool. Our job is to deliver people from that cesspool. Big difference. We're not here to change the world. We're here to deliver people from the world. The will of God commit the keeping of their souls. Again, this echoes 2 Timothy 1.12. I know him who I believe in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We look to the faithfulness of Christ for our security, not our faithfulness ourselves. Because we are but frail. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Tertullian declared that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You may have heard that. It actually goes back to Tertullian, the early church father. Persecution can never destroy the church of God. Satan tried to destroy the church by crushing it, by 
persecuting it. It didn't work. The more he did it, the stronger it became. Then he got smarter. He didn't try to persecute it. He had it marry the world. And what he couldn't accomplish by persecution, he accomplished by diluting it. Diluting it and diluting it. And we see that very effective to this very day. The dangers of the church are from within the church. The church isn't going to suffer from external persecution. Never has. The blood of the martyrs are the seed of the church. The dangers are the false teachers who take over the pulpits that water down the gospel. That take it all. It's like a navigator just deviating one degree. Not very much. But as time goes on, you are really off course. Philippians 3 has a passage I had to include as we do this study. Paul in Philippians 4 says, the Philippians 3 verse 4 says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath the whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Now what he's going to say, you're going to trust in the flesh? Let me tell you what I could boast about if that was, if it meant anything. I'm circumcised in the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. There's about seven major things here he can, he can claim as credentials. Then he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. If anybody could brag in the flesh, Paul had a basis. And he lists it and then wipes it clean. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win in Christ. Wow. Whatever credentials we're proud of, whatever things we think we've achieved, they are dross, garbage, baggage, get rid of it in exchange for that you might win Christ. Christ, it's all about Jesus. A very close friend of mine, pastor of a major church, uh, that's his favorite verse. No matter what we talk about, when we get into some discussion, hey, it's all about Jesus. Boy, does that cut through a lot of the nonsense. It's all about Jesus. Okay, that's chapter 4. Let's take the final one, chapter 5. The first four verses teach that suffering produces service and hope. That's an encouragement. And then the rest of that chapter teach that suffering produces humility and patience. That's sort of a summary of this very little short chapter we have left here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who all, am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. You know, this sounds like just another verse. You've sort of, uh, nothing quite there, Grad. You've sort of heard that before. No, there's some very profound subtleties here I don't want you to miss. Peter is talking here. He says, the elders, the plural, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of sufferings. The word here is sum presbyterios, which means among the elders, plural. Now, why is that so important? There is no suggestion by Peter that he has any authority over the other elders. 
He's among the elders, plural. There's no clergy and laity in his, his perceptions. Yes, there are elders as a, as a group that are there to teach, but there isn't a, a laity and clergy model here. Peter declares himself a co-presbyter with them. This is a refutation of this idea that Peter somehow was the first pope or even a, 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 an overseer like a bishop. Let me go. This is a critical vocabulary lesson here. The Greek word used here is, pres the root word is presbyteros. That's a word which is sometimes used of a person that's simply older, an elder. That's all it means. It's about a person that's an elder. There's another Greek word that we find used frequently in the New Testament called the episkopos. That's usually translated a bishop. And it speaks of an office of an overseer. Understand the difference. Presbyterus is the person. The bishop is the office that he might be in. It's the spiritual office of being a shepherd, if you will. In fact, the same word is used for shepherd in a number of places. Why am I hammering this? This is all that Simon Peter ever claimed to be. He calls himself a fellow elder. A sum presbyterus, in other words, a fellow, an elder just like the rest of you elders. He never claimed a superior place above his brethren, but as a fellow elder, he exhorts them. This should put to sleep this whole nonsense that Peter somehow was the first bishop and the first pope and all that business. That's a myth that's been promoted by certain groups. Notice something else, by the way, if you study your words carefully. Elders are never spoken of in the singular. This may come as a shock to many. Elders are always in the plural. There was never in mind to have only one elder. The idea of the fellowships was to have a group of elders that ran the fellowship. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.